this is the beginning of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians from the New Living Translation. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. Paul is writing this letter to the believers in Corinth. He founded this church himself. Paul is defending himself here. It's believed that there were people who followed Paul from city to city, trying to undermine his religious authority. And so he's trying to compensate for incorrect things that others have said about him, people denying his spiritual authority. He's making it clear that he knows the teachings of Christ. He's making two points. First, he's serving as an apostle freely, without anyone forcing him. Second, he has evidence that he's an apostle. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, implying that this means that Jesus personally appointed him an apostle. And the mere fact that he has led the people of Corinth to Jesus' teachings is more evidence that he's an apostle. We need to remember something here. Superficially, it may seem that Paul is claiming to be something that he's not, that he's one of the twelve who walked the earth with Jesus. But Paul never knew Jesus while Jesus was alive. However, the word apostle is a translation of the Greek word apostolos, and it means messenger. Paul is using the word in this fashion. And so it's a bit more of a modest statement, and certainly a true one. The word apostolos can also refer to a diplomat, someone who's delivering a message for an important person. In this sense, too, Paul is indeed an apostle. Paul admits in this quote that there are those who do not feel that he is a proper apostle— but he declares that to the believers of Corinth, he is their apostle. To summarize, Paul is telling us just what an apostle is, a representative of Jesus Christ, one who brings the word of Christ to others, and importantly, one who does this freely. Paul goes on to tell us how much he's willing to compromise on his own needs and preferences, even on his own self-identity to serve as an apostle. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is so committed to being a representative of Jesus, a messenger of the word, that he will be a chameleon. He can become anything, even a weak person, if that's what's needed to reach people. He makes it clear that being an apostle is not about making things about yourself. It's about sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone. He also says that being an apostle means being a servant. Paul then says that being an apostle is like competing as a champion athlete. The goal is to win. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we have an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The people of Corinth were very familiar with the games held at Olympia, as this city was less than a hundred miles west of Corinth. The games included wrestling, boxing, running, horse racing, chariot racing, throwing the discus, and throwing the javelin. So these believers could deeply appreciate his metaphor of the apostle as a runner. You must use self-control, run hard for the great prize of converting others to the faith. He's telling the readers to not simply be passive acceptors of the word, but to become athletes themselves, to become apostles. The believers in Corinth were mostly Gentiles, not Jews, and so Paul teaches them about Israelite and Jewish history. I have edited the following heavily. For I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were all baptized into Moses and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He tells them that the people of God varied in their trust in God, in how willing they were to follow the laws of God. 
God led them through the wilderness of the desert, and God will lead the people of Corinth and all believers through the wilderness of life. But you must be careful to not be tempted by evil, by the things of this world. Paul mentions idolatry specifically. This is probably because there was a problem with the Corinthian church having members who claimed to follow Jesus but who also worshipped human-made idols of wood and metal. He tells these Gentiles that this history from the Hebrew Scriptures serves as a deliberate lesson for them so that they're not destroyed by the temptation of the serpent of Satan, by the great destroyer. He reminds them that what they are experiencing, though, is natural. All people who try to come to truly know God through Christ will be faced with the same temptations. Importantly, God will make sure that whatever temptations they face are no stronger than they are able to endure. Paul then presents some words of wisdom that would be worthy of the book of Proverbs. All things are lawful, But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This would be great advice for people in our permissive anything-goes society today. It may be true that all things are lawful, but that doesn't mean they're helpful to the spirit, to our faith, It doesn't mean that they'll build us up rather than break us down. Paul tells the Corinthian believers to seek the good of the person next to you, of your neighbor, rather than of yourself. An apostle is not selfish. An apostle thinks of the spiritual and physical well-being of others. He then gets back to this issue of idolatry. Eat whatever meat is sold in the market, without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. He tells these mostly Gentile believers that they do not have to worry about the food laws of the Jews. He says that they can eat meat that's sold or offered to them any meat. It's better to go to someone's home and join them for dinner rather than refuse to go because you're afraid that the meat might not meet the food laws. It's important to take advantage of the opportunity to communicate with people, to be a messenger, to be a representative of Christ, to be an apostle. However, if the meat was offered to idols in sacrifice— then they should not eat it. The reason isn't because there's anything wrong with this. 
The reason is to make it clear to the person who's offering the food that it's not right to worship idols. They should refuse the meat, not for their souls, but for the souls of others. The story we're looking at here covers chapter 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians. Here's the ending of chapter 10. Note that I've included the first verse of chapter 11. The problem is that from the 13th through the 15th centuries, long after this letter of Paul was written, the chapter and verse numbers were added to the Bible, and they simply made a lot of mistakes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 should have been at the end of chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. This is the bottom line for Paul. Whatever these believers do, whatever they eat or drink, they should do it all for the glory of God. They should alienate no one so that the word can reach everyone. They're not to shun people who do things they do not do or believe things they do not believe. Because doing this is bound to keep these other people from hearing the word of God. Apostles should not seek their own advantage, but the advantage of others. And when they serve as apostles, as messengers, as representatives, they should imitate Christ. We must live for the glory of God every day of our lives. We want all people to be saved, to hear the word, to learn the two great commandments of Jesus Christ, the ones that he says supersedes the great Ten Commandments. One, to love God with all your hearts and minds. And two, to love your neighbor as yourselves. We are to accept God's grace and pass that grace on to others. We're all to be apostles. Here's an interesting take on the gospel, on the New Testament, on the New Covenant, on the life of Jesus the Christ, on the Messiah. Jesus came to earth not directly to save us, but rather his immediate concern was simply to glorify God. The way he chose to glorify God was by saving us. Saving us was just a side effect of glorifying God. We can glorify God in precisely the same way, by bringing the word to others. We deliver the word through our voices and our actions. I met a chaplain at one point who didn't seem to truly act like a chaplain. This person was judgmental and didn't like to visit certain kinds of patients or family members. If someone didn't have the values that this chaplain had, he would complain about the person. And I often wondered if this chaplain did more harm than good by leaving someone feeling rejected rather than embraced and supported during a crisis. This guy was a phony chaplain, in my opinion. I once ordered a boom arm for a microphone I use at home. When the arm came, I set it up, hooking the microphone to the end of it and clamping the arm to my desk. There's an 
elbow-like joint in such a boom. This allows the mic to be moved up and down. But after I put the boom and the mic together and clamped it to my desk, the mic dropped to my desk. The elbow of the boom didn't provide enough resistance to hold up even a very lightweight microphone. It was a phony boom. Paul, in chapters 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians, tells the people of Corinth that he is an apostle. He tells them what a real apostle is. He tells them that they should act as apostles too. He tells them to not be a phony chaplain, a phony boom, a phony apostle. In our world today, we're used to a lot of phony, hypocritical people and phony, fraudulent goods. We don't want to be like that, though. We want to go out into the world as genuine apostles. The most important part of this is to make sure we're doing it for the glory of God, not for the glory of ourselves. We don't make people become exactly like us. We don't demand that they meet us in our space. We meet them in their space. We make them feel welcomed, uplifted, and like they too could go out there and be apostles. We share the word. But there's more. In Luke chapter 5, the author of this gospel tells this about the apostles after Jesus called them to serve. They left everything and followed him. We don't have to leave everything behind like the Twelve did, like Paul did. We don't have to go on the road and become homeless. But this phrase tells us something else. It is a full-time job to be an apostle. If we want to be a representative of Christ, if we want to be the messenger who delivers the word to others, if we want to be an apostle to others, it is indeed a full-time job, at least in this sense. We can never not be an apostle. We can never take time off and be a phony and live in a hypocritical way. It takes constant focus, both on our own spiritual learning and on our interface with other people, to be an apostle. It is an incredible opportunity, a true gift, to be able to be an apostle. This isn't a new idea, something I dreamt up. We read in the New Testament about people who picked up the mantle of the apostles, people like Barnabas, Apollos, Epaproditus, Phoebe, and many others were not named as official members of the Twelve, but who dedicated their lives to always living as people of faith and as apostles for their own sake and for the sake of others. We can be like the many unheralded apostles in the Bible by serving as representatives of Christ and messengers carrying the Word of God.